Friends, we want to welcome you. It is an honor and a privilege to have you popping in. If you join us for the first time, my name is Pastor Susie, and I have the honor to be the preaching pastor here at God Squad Church. And I want to welcome you, whether you're watching live during first service, second service, watching the VOD on YouTube, or even listening in your car, maybe via Spotify late in the week. Sincerely, we, we might not see your face, but, but we see you. And we love you and so grateful to have you a part of our church. We're glad you're joining us today because we're wrapping up a series that we've been in called Spiritual Disciplines. Put some hype in the chat if you've been enjoying our series on spiritual disciplines. And if you don't, I will be very, very, very sad. And we started this message about four weeks ago, our series. And in week one, really, I brought a message about the, the deep understanding of why would we even want to be disciplined? Understanding what Paul talks about, the reality is that God has given all of us a huge potential to be world changers, but discipline is the thing that will either help you to achieve or keep you from achieving God's greatest purpose for your life. People don't win the Olympics just by showing up. There's a training period. They need to discipline themselves, and if you want to become all that God's created you to be, we're going to have to get discipline under control. And week number two, our executive pastor and my amazing wife, Pastor Amanda, brought a message about worship. And of course, worship is something we talk about in church all the time, but she broke down for us what worship is, why we do it. We talked about some habits like raising our hands, things like that. But she also brought the perspective that worship can be a discipline because it's easy to worship God when things are going well, but there are moments when things are not going so well, and you're going to have to discipline yourself to worship God anyway. She told us that the quality of our situation doesn't determine the quality of your Savior, that even when life is bad, God is still good, and I'm going to praise him anyway. Last week, I brought a message talking about the principle of self-denial. That discipline at times is about denying yourself of the things that you want so that you can honor God, saying no to sin and saying yes to the things that God wants because I've had moments in my life where, God, I, I love you, but in moments I love me more. And learning to shift that mindset to be willing to say, God, I, I do love me and I, I like to have fun and like to do things that I love to do even if they're sinful, but I'm gonna choose to deny myself and to honor God instead. And today, I want to wrap up our series with what might seem like a little bit of a different direction as we wrap up a series on spiritual disciplines. And today, I want to talk about something that's going to be a little bit difficult for all of us because it's easier said than done, especially for me. Today, I want to talk about what the Bible says about financial discipline. And I know for some of you right now, you're already headed to the X button. Bear with me, people. Don't smack the X button just yet because I promise you this message is not going to condemn you. It's not going to judge you. It's not going to shame you. My hope is that this message will encourage you and really revolutionize the way that you think God thinks about money. The reality is God has no concern with how much money you have. He has no concern with do you have a lot of it or do you have a little bit of it. People who are rich are not loved by God more than those who are poor, and those who are poor are not loved by God less than those who are rich. I want you to hear that today. God is not concerned with how much money do you have, but he is very concerned with how much of your money has you. How much is money controlling you? Because if you don't learn financial discipline and learn to control your money, your money will control you. And the second thing, especially when announcers are like, I thought we were talking about like spiritual disciplines. And sure, financial discipline is important, but how is that spiritual? 
The reality is when you understand what the Bible teaches about money, you will understand that it has everything to do with spiritual discipline. The Bible teaches that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And the reality is money can either set you free or imprison you. And the thing is that God, he wants to set you free. But you will never be free financially if you don't learn to discipline yourself when it comes to spending money. And if you don't get a handle on financial discipline, you will never be free. You will always be a prisoner. And I've come to tell you today that Jesus wants you to be free. His desire is not for you to be trapped. God doesn't want you going to bed every night stressing about money. He wants you to be free. But in order to be free, we need to be disciplined. And so what I want to do today is I want to read a passage of Scripture that, in my opinion, is the most beautiful, most encouraging passage that I think the whole Bible has to say about money. I think it really shows the heart of God on how Jesus really views finances. And then I want to pull out three key principles I think God wants us to learn about financial discipline. So strap in with me. We got quite a few passages to read, but I think you're going to be very, very blessed and encouraged today. And I want to take us to the book of 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 8. And this is a letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthian people, the people that live in Corinth. And he's writing to them about a lot of topics we're going to cover concerning the area of finances. And I want to pick up in verse 1. We're going to read some of chapter 8. Then we're going to read some of chapter 9. Put a heart in the chat if you're ready to dive deep with me, friends. Here we go. Verse 1. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Just to give a little context, Paul had been recently talking to the Macedonian churches, and at that time, the Macedonian church had been very, very blessed financially. Verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy... And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I'm going to read that whole statement one more time. Because at first glance, I'm like, this doesn't even make any sense. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Like, I had to read this verse a few times. Because I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so before they were extremely poor, but overflowing with joy? I'm already like, I, don't, I can't relate to these people. Because <laughs> I, I, I've had moments where I'm struggling financially. And I'll be honest, my emotional state probably wasn't overflowing with joy. And when I begin to study this passage, I begin to learn a lot about how God really wants you to feel about money. And I need you to understand that there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a temporary state of emotion. When, like, when I got like, a new item in the mail that I've been waiting for, like, that made me temporary, temporarily happy. But if that thing that I wanted breaks, I'm not happy anymore. Like My emotions are up and down. This is happiness. But there's a joy that only God gives. That in the midst of like, my deepest struggles, I sense his peace. I sense his joy. And he is with me. And there's a joy that can't be taken away by the things that happen here on this earth. There's a joy that can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit, but happiness is all over the place. And so this might be kind of controversial, but people say like money can't buy you happiness. I completely disagree. I 100% think that money can buy you happiness. I have a PC that I play games on every day. It makes me very happy. You know how I got it? Money. I had to pay for it. But it can't, it can't buy me joy. 
It's not going to buy me a place in heaven, and it's not going to do me any good in the deepest struggles that money can't solve. But when you get your favorite item in the mail of Amazon two-day prime, thank you, Jeff Bezos, right? You're happy. And you know how you got that item? You got it with money. But there's a joy that can't be bought, but also a joy that can't be taken away. And there's a deep misunderstanding that people think if you want to have joy, you need to have money. But the Macedonian church, they show us that even while they were in extreme poverty, they were overflowing with joy. I want to tell you, especially in our gaming world and Twitch, there are a lot of streamers that make a lot of money. Like, it's no secret. My man Ludwig right now has been live for like seven days straight. Still has another seven days. He's made over $100,000 this week. My dude is loaded. Lo- loaded. He's insane. He's probably going to be streaming forever. He kind of put himself in there, but what are you going to do? Ludwig, hope you survive, man. God bless you, brother. <laughs> there are a lot of streamers with a lot of money. And I think it's no secret that I am not a big streamer. I don't have 10,000 subscribers. I don't have 10,000 Prime Gamings. Right? I'm very blessed and grateful for I'm at, but I'm not rich in terms of an earthly standard. But there are some huge streamers on Twitch that when you understand what the Bible says about what it truly means to be rich, there are a lot of streamers that are, have so much money, but they're nowhere as rich as I am. Because they have not experienced the true forgiveness and grace and mercy of what it feels like to experience true wealth, which can only ex- come through a relationship with Jesus. It has nothing to do with money has everything to do with me and you who have given your lives to follow with Jesus, experiencing something that is so much better than earthly riches. It's a wealth that money can't buy, and it's a wealth that poverty can't take away. It doesn't matter how many subs someone might have. It doesn't matter how, much, how big your paycheck is. It depends. Have you been saved, set free, redeemed? Do you know who you are? So many people have lots of money, don't know who they are. So many of you have lots of money and have no peace. It doesn't mean that every rich person doesn't have peace, but if they do, they didn't get it because they have money. They got it because they have Jesus. And here we see the Macedonian church. They've experienced two extremes, extreme poverty and extreme joy, all while at the same time practicing rich generosity. They didn't let the fact that they were in a difficult situation keep them from experiencing the blessing of God through generosity. Moving down to verse 3, Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and evened beyond their ability. We're going to talk a lot about giving and generosity in today's message as it really entails money as a whole. But I want you to see this because I want to clarify something. It says that they gave beyond their ability. Now, I am in no way, shape, or form saying that people should give away more money than they can afford. But I am saying that there might be moments where God wants to stretch your faith. And God might want you to be generous if you know the Lord has spoken to you. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about jumping off a cliff and expecting God to catch you. I'm talking about, man, this is scary. It's stretching my faith, but God is calling me to practice generosity beyond what my checkbook really says that I can. And it says that he stretched them beyond their ability. But here's a common phrase that people use in the church world. God will never give you more than you can handle. 
He will never give you more than you can handle. I got to be honest, I so fundamentally disagree with that statement. If God never gave me more than I could handle, why would I need him? Why would I need him? Like, oh, Susie, do you need help? No, I got got this. I can handle this just by myself. If God never gave us more than we could handle, we would never ask him for help because we wouldn't need it. And there might be moments where God might challenge you, like he challenged these people, to practice generosity sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes beyond what makes sense. He might challenge you to go beyond your own ability, your own ability. And it might take a step of faith where you might have to obey him because you know what the Bible teaches. I promise you, you can't outgive God. You cannot give more than God. The Bible teaches so clearly that you will reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You can't outgive God. But there might be moments in your generosity that it might scare you a little bit because mathematically it might not add up. It might seem like it's beyond your ability. There have been moments in my, my wife and I's life where God's like, I want you to give. And I'm like, God, if I give all that, like, I ain't going to have money to pay the light bill this month. And God's like, I want you to give it anyway. And we would give, and God would just multiply it. And somehow, some way, sometimes I can't even explain it, we would just be able to pay everything we needed. And sometimes even have a little more extra over because we went beyond our ability in the certain cases. These moments, I believe, are the exception, not the rule. I'm not encouraging that the Bible teaches we should make irresponsible financial decisions, but I am saying that there's going to be times where God's going to stretch you to go beyond your own ability so that you can't just rely on your bank account. You need to rely on him. Continuing down, it says entirely on their own, verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service, the service being giving to the Lord's people. Now I want to read that again. They urgently pleaded with us to be able to have the privilege to share in the service to the Lord's people. Man, these are two words that, man, we don't think about when we think about money and how we spend it. We definitely don't think about giving oftentimes as a privilege. But when you begin to understand that God never asks you to do something he wasn't willing to do himself, and that before God ever asked you to give, he first gave his only son, then you understand that God is not forcing me to give. It is a privilege for me to give to the one who first gave to me. It's a privilege. It's an honor that I get to show generosity towards my king who gave me life. But I think even more, what's more challenging than the privilege is understanding the word sharing. Sharing. Here's the reality. All of us view our money as ours. It's like we're like four years old. Mine! Mine! It's right. It's mine. Everything is mine. But when you understand God and his role in your life, if you've given your life to follow Jesus, he is not just your savior. He's not just your get out of hell free card. He is your Lord, which means you've surrendered your life to him. He is God and he is master and everything that I have is his. For a lot of people, we want to let Jesus into our hearts, but we won't let him into our pockets. Everything that I own is God's 
And at times, God might ask you to share. To share. He's not even asking you to sacrifice and give what's yours. No, he's asking you to share what he gave you. Sharing. It's like the old saying that we probably think is super cheesy. Sharing is caring. But if you truly care about God's kingdom and serving and blessing other people, we'd be willing to share. This word sharing is so fundamental to understanding your view of God's money. When you're blessing others, when you're giving to the church, when you're helping someone in need, all you're doing is sharing. I'm just sharing what God gave me. That's all I'm doing. I can't even take any credit because first God gave me everything that I have. I know that you're the one that gets up in the morning to go to work. I know that you're the one that crunches the numbers. You're the one that does the manual labor. But God's the one that gave you the intelligence to be able to crunch those numbers. God's the one who gave you arms and and an elbow and shoulders to move those hands around so you could do the manual labor. Everything that we have stems from God. And he's just asking us, are you willing to share what originally belongs to God? And I'll challenge you. This is a huge step of spiritual maturity when we begin to understand a proper and healthy view of our money. Nothing I have is actually mine. You maybe have heard me say this before, but the statement isn't even, how much money do I make? Really, the statement is, how much has God entrusted into my care? How much has God entrusted me with? And how much of that does God want me to share? He doesn't want me to share all of it. I'm going to keep some. I'm going to keep some in Jesus' name. But how much does he want me to share? Moving down to verse 5. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. I think it's so crucial to understand. They didn't just give their money. They gave themselves. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God, also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. You see, this is hard because as followers of Jesus, man, we want, we, want a, we want a master being kind. We want a master being loving. We want to master all the things that other people can see. But at times, we don't want to master the giving that no one else sees. Well, like, if I'm just like, if I just got the outward disciplines of being a follower of Jesus, then I'll just look like I'm a good Christian. As long as I'm kind, as long as I'm respectful, as long as I love people, as long as I tell them I'm going to pray for them, all the outward stuff that everybody gets to see, I can look like a great Christian if I can get that stuff under wraps. But the stuff that nobody sees, like giving, I could not give my whole life and nobody would ever know. I could never do it. But, but God sees our heart and he sees our generosity. I want us to be generous gamers. And I'm not just talking about you need to give to the church. I'm talking about you just giving where God tells you to give. I'm talking about just being a generous person. And Paul says, yo, y'all been kind, y'all been faithful, y'all been all this stuff. But he says, that's not all the pieces of the puzzle. I want you to also excel in the grace of giving. But then look what he says in verse 8. 
I'm not commanding you. I'm not commanding you that you would give. You cannot give a single dollar your entire life, and you can make it to heaven. You cannot help anyone, and you can make it to heaven. You cannot give to your local church or here online at God Squad Church, and you can make it to heaven. You don't gain forgiveness of God by giving or not giving money. Paul says, I'm not commanding you. But when you understand the blessings of giving that we're going to go over today, Paul's almost saying, you don't have to, but why wouldn't you want to? If you really love Jesus, why wouldn't you want to? I'm not commanding you, he says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. We give because we love God. I'm generous to others because we we love God. It's not something I have to do. I'm not trying to prove something. I'm not trying to prove something to people, and I'm not trying to prove something to God. I'm just trying to show him that I love him, that I'll be obedient to him. So when I see about someone who's struggling, if I'm at a position that I can help them, I want to do my best to do that. Why? Because I want to be generous. Why? As an act of my sincerity, of my love for God. Giving, like we talk about every week, it's a part of our worship. It's a part of our gratitude. It's a part of our love. It's not something we're forced to do. We do it because we we love God. We want to move the mission forward. We want to help people. We want to serve people. We do it out of love, not because we have to. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty, you might become rich. When Jesus was on this earth, he was not rich in any way, shape, or form. But you've got to understand, before he came to this earth, he sat on a golden throne. He was in a place called heaven where the same gold that we have spent thousands of years fighting wars over, that was what he was wiping his feet on. And he gave up being rich to come to this earth and to be poor and to be a servant and to die on the cross for you and me so that through his poverty, we could experience a richness that money can't buy. Money can't buy. And if he was willing to sacrifice for me, then I'm willing to sacrifice for him. Verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first one not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Paul says, I don't just want you to mean well, I want you to do well. I don't just want you to have good intentions, I want, I want, I want you to follow through on them. Everybody wants to be generous. Everybody would say, like, yeah, that's a good characteristic. Like, I would actually like to be a generous person. Paul's saying, have more than just a desire to be generous. Actually be generous. Actually discipline yourself to actually love other people, serve other people, and to be generous. Verse 12, no, sorry, verse 11. We're going to read it again. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by the completion of it according to to your means, according to your own means. Verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. 
At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. What I want you to understand about giving, and especially in this passage, is that Paul is talking about the Macedonian church that he was just with, but now he's talking to the Corinthian church, to people in Corinth. And they're in different financial places. And Paul has just stated to them, your gift of generosity that you give to God or to serve other people is not about how much you have or don't have. It's not about trying to compare yourself. And he said right there, he's like, my goal isn't that one would be relieved by having a ton of money or that the other would be hard-pressed by not having much. He's saying, don't compare yourself to people who are in a different financial state than you. It's cool that Macedonia is loaded right now. It's cool. That's great for them. But that has no bearing on you and your relationship with God. God doesn't love Macedonia more than he loves Corinth because one has more money than the other. None of that matters to God. None of that matters whether you know a guy who's rich and you're not rich. None of that matters to God. He's saying don't be comparing your financial status because that's not what God's concerned with. He's concerned with your heart, and he just simply wants there to be, put it on the screen again, verse 13, I just want that there might be equality. Equality amongst brothers and sisters in God. Now here's the deal, not equality in the amount that you give. Everyone can give different amounts. Everyone can help more or less people depending on when you're at. Some people can, you know, sign up to sponsor a bunch of children in Africa. Some might only be able to afford one. Some can give X amount of dollars to their church. Some others can only give a little bit. It doesn't matter what the amount. You can give different amounts, but still be equally generous with whatever God has entrusted to you. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what you give or don't give. None of that, none of that matters. But are you practicing generosity? You can be rich and give a ton of money that doesn't matter anything to you. You could have $8 million in your pocket and you could give 100,000, which is like less than 1%. And then there could be a guy who's middle class and when he gives $100, like man, it's a sacrifice. And the middle class guy is actually in that moment practicing more generosity than the rich person. Because the amount doesn't matter. It matters what's in your heart what are you sacrificing, and what is your intent behind it? And God doesn't want us to all give the same amount, because we can't. He just wants us to all be equally generous. If you can help 10 people in Africa, help 10. If you can help one, help one. But all of us, God is saying, I want you to be equally generous. And sometimes I think that we, like I'm a middle-class person, we try to throw generosity on the rich people. Well, if the rich people were just more generous, then we could build the kingdom of God. No, no, no. If we were all equally generous, then we could build the kingdom of God. We could make a difference in the world if we were just all equally generous. If you can give 10, give 10. If you can give 100,000, praise God, give 100,000. No amount is better or less. God just wants there to be equality. Here's the reality. I'm not concerned with how much you give or don't give to God Squad Church. But I do want all of us to be equally obedient to God by being generous. I just want you to be a follower of Jesus. And to be a follower of Jesus means I'm generous. God has shown me so much generosity. 
And so, God, how can I be generous in return? How can I be equally generous? Verse 15, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. You read this verse and you're like, what? (laughs) First of all, Paul, what are you quoting? You see the quotation marks, and that just seems really random to throw in after your desire for everyone to be have equality. If you don't know this, Paul is quoting from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, talking about the Israelites who were stranded in the wilderness for 40 years. If you haven't read the story, I encourage you to go back and do it. But in that story, God is providing from heaven food for them to eat. It's called manna. He's providing for them. And for some people, God had a rule, don't take more than you need for today. Only take what you need for today and trust that I'm going to provide more for tomorrow. So what had happened was some people would take too much. They would take leftovers because they didn't trust that God was going to provide for them the next day. And at the end of the day, whatever they didn't eat, whatever they tried to save, God would actually just destroy. He would destroy. He'd be like, I'm trying to teach you to trust me. And then some people would only be able to grab too little because other people were hoarding for themselves. And God would make a miracle that everyone had what they needed. And what Paul is showing by quoting what seems like this random verse is that whether you're giving or receiving, all sources of provision come from God. All of it. Whether you're the one who's giving, God is the one who's giving his money because you've been obedient to share. So God is giving through you. And if you're the one who's receiving, God is blessing you through somebody else. God is the source of all provision. So it's not even really, how much did I give? It's really, how much did God give through me? It's not about, oh, that person gave me this much. No, no, no. God blessed me with X amount through his child. All sources of provision come from God. Going back to the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, this is the same conversation Paul's having with the same church. We're going to pick up in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you've never heard of the, really the process of sowing and reaping, a lot of it has to do with farming and planting. That if you sow a seed, if you sow a pumpkin seed into the ground, you're going to reap a pumpkin. Like it, it's a simple process. Whatever you put out is what you're going to get back. And the Bible teaches that principle that what you sow, you will then reap. So this is an important principle to understand in your whole life because you can't sow disrespect and receive honor. You can't sow disrespect and reap kindness. You're going to get back what you give out. So I want to encourage you, sow what you want to reap back, but then also make sure that you sow what you have reaped. So if someone's been a blessing to you, go and be a blessing to someone else. Sometimes we just, we, we just focus on the reaping, but we're going to focus on the sowing. But this is a very, very important principle. Put that verse up again, verse 6. Whoever sows, whoever gives out sparingly, bare minimum, God, I'm only just going to give the bare minimum until I feel like my conscience feels like you don't hate me, which is not true because we've discussed it already. God's not concerned with the amount. But whoever sows sparingly, bare minimum, I mean, just check a box, then you're going to reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
So here's the deal sometimes. We understand this principle. Oh, well, if I sow, then I'll reap. If I give, God will give back. You can't outgive God. Maybe you've heard it. And some people actually give for the wrong intentions. They give because they're like, oh, well, if I give 100, God will give me like 150. And I'll tell you, there's a supernatural thing that happens, but if that's your intention, you're probably not going to reap. Because <laughs> God, he, he knows your heart. He knows your heart. But there is a biblical principle that if you will sow, you will reap back what you gave in abundance. I put it this way. If you will invest in God's interests, he will bring back interest on your investment. He'll not only bless you with what you gave, he'll give you a little extra because that's how God works. But here's what we do sometimes. We give so bare minimum that we don't even notice it leaving our bank account. And then we go, oh, well, God's, you know, I've been giving, but God's not giving back. I'm sowing, but I'm not reaping. But let me explain it to you this way. For many of us, I think we might be able to relate to this. For some of us in different financial positions, it's completely okay if this might be different for you. But for me and in my financial position, middle-class person, $10 is not a lot of money for me. It might be for you, and for others, it might be like a penny, right? But $10 for me is not a huge amount of money. Like to the point where like when I check my bank account, you know, making sure my, you know, my spending is okay, making sure I haven't got like fraud or suspicious activity. But to be honest, I'm not insanely concerned with like the last two digits of my bank account. Like $10, $20, like sure, I don't want to lose $20, but if I do, like I'm not going out of business. And I think most people would say that $10, not a huge deal, but for some it might be, and that's okay if that's you. But what we do sometimes is we'll give God such a small amount We'll give them 10, and then we'll reap 12. But the reality is, for most of us, including myself, if $10 vanished from my bank account, I actually probably wouldn't even notice. Like, I, like I watch my bank account, but not like super to a T. So if like the final two digits went from 20 to 10, I, I probably might not, I might not notice. And some of you probably would agree. But here's how I would put it to you. When it comes to your giving to God, he will always outgive you. But if you don't notice the amount going out, you probably won't also notice it coming back in. If you don't feel 10 going out, you probably won't feel 12 come back in. And this is what we do. We sow sparingly, and then we reap sparingly and go, God, I thought you were gonna bless those who give. Oh, I did. I just gave in the same manner in which you did. You just didn't notice. If you didn't feel it coming out, you might not feel it coming back in if the amount is nothing to you. For others, $10 might be a huge sacrifice, and God will bless that in abundance. But for many of us, I think would agree, sometimes we just give God bare minimum. God is not a God who deserves our leftovers. He's a God who deserves our generosity. But I promise you, if you will so generously, you will also reap generously. You can't outgive God. You can't do it. Actually, when it comes to the area of finances, this is the only area in the Bible that God says, test me. Test me. I'll show you how big I am. I know that you're afraid to give. I know that maybe you've never given here at God Squad Church, and today might be your first time ever. And I know that you might be a little scared, but I promise you, God can't let you down. He's incapable of failure. 
He's not even just incapable of failure. He's incapable of disappointment. And I promise you that if you continue to sow sparingly, you'll reap because God is who he says he is. So if you give, you're going to give back. You just might not notice it. But if you'll give generously, he'll give back generously. Continue to move down verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. For as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies, remember, all sources of provision and supply come from God, not even just my hard work. God blesses my hard work, but ultimately, he is my provider. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I want to encourage you today. No matter what financial state you find yourself in, you've been blessed not just so that you can be blessed. You've been blessed so that you can be a blessing. It is God's desire for you and I to be generous. Whether it's helping someone you know in need, helping a friend, helping a family member, giving to the church, sponsoring a child in Africa, whatever it might be, giving to a Twitch dono stream for someone who's got cancer, whatever it might be, whatever you feel in your heart, just be generous. Be a generous follower of Jesus. You have been enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Verse 12, this service that you perform, which is a service of giving, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. We don't just give to meet a need, right? Waymaker Week is incredible, and I'm so grateful that all of you give so we can continue here at God Squad Church. But we don't just give so that we can meet a need. We give because it's an overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When I give, it's twofold. I'm give because I want to accomplish a purpose, but I also give because I want to worship God. It's an expression of my thanks. It's an expression of my thanks. I give because I want to love and serve God. You just might give to whatever maybe passion you have or whatever you feel God's telling you to do. Sometimes God might tell you exactly where to put your money, but other times he might give you the freedom to be like, oh, you're passionate about helping streamers who need medical bills? Then go bless some people on Twitch. Praise God. You want to help your church further the mission? Then help your church. You want to help some people in Africa? Whatever you want to do. Do it for two reasons. One, to accomplish the purpose that God's putting in your heart, but two, because you want to honor him. Because you love him and you want to worship him. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, this one is powerful, because you've given, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity, there's that word again, and sharing with them and with everyone else. I'll tell you, it either does immense help 
or immense damage to our faith when Christians either practice generosity or don't practice generosity. It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. Followers of Jesus who have received so much should be more generous than anybody on the planet. I really believe it. We should be the most generous people on the planet. And I'll tell you, it doesn't just fulfill a purpose, and it doesn't just honor God when you give. It blesses the people you're giving to. I'll tell you, there might be people in your life that the only way that you'll ever be able to conversation, have a conversation about Jesus with them might come through you meeting a need. Sometimes you might have to give people food who are hungry. You might have to meet a physical need before they'll let you meet a spiritual need. There's a story that I think I've actually only shared one other time, and I don't even know if it was here at God Squad Church or with a friend, to be honest. It was so long ago. But when my wife and I lived in Connecticut, we got into a car accident in a parking lot of Walmart. And it was blatantly the other person's fault, okay? Let me just throw that out there, all right? It wasn't on me, all right, people. It was blatantly the other person's fault. I mean, like, no question about it. They just straight up drove into my car. Like, no, no point of discussion. And they knew it. I knew it. Like, GG, like, you hit my car. There's no room for discussion, okay? And I went home, and, I, you know, I tried not to get angry. I wasn't upset. I, I, I thought I was nice to the lady. Amanda's like, you are too nice. <laughs> but like, I wasn't angry because I was like, it's so blatant your fault. There's no way that I lose here. So ain't nothing to worry about, right? And so I, I remember going, to, going back to my house and later that night, I remember God putting into my heart that I was going to have to pay for the accident even though it wasn't my fault. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know you hear from the Lord and you're like, I definitely didn't hear you right, okay? <laughs> I definitely need to go into a season of prayer fasting because I clearly don't know how to hear from the Lord because that's crazy. And I felt God putting it in my heart that I was supposed to pay for the accident, even though it wasn't, like, I didn't do it. Like, it was so blatantly obvious that she hit me, and she knew it. But God, I was like, I want you to pay for it anyway. And God put it in my heart to call her, and I remember calling her. It was like 9.30 at night. Her name was Rosa. I remember calling her, and I was so nervous, shaking. This was so, it was so out of my comfort zone. And God wanted me to say to her, I will pay for the car and your car. I'll pay for the whole thing if you will just come to church with me once. Just one time. Just one time. She's like, wait. You're going to spend like over $1,000 so that I can come to you at church once. And I even said to her, and if you hate it and never come back, the deal still applies. Just one time. And she was like, sounds good. <laughs> and she took the deal. And she came to church that next day, and she gave her life to follow, oh, it was that weekend, and she gave her life to follow Jesus. And I remember she said to me, I didn't even give my life to follow Jesus because the sermon was good. I gave my life to follow Jesus because your generosity didn't make any sense to me. It didn't make any sense to me as to why in the world you would pay for the damages that I did. And I went on to tell her, that's what Jesus did for you and me. He, he went to pay for the damages that we did. He, 
he paid a debt that, that I owed. I was the one that clearly hit his car. Yet he paid for me. And just like the scripture says, that through our generosity, it'll help other people see Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that if I didn't pay for her car, it made me a bad Christian. But I'm saying I had an opportunity to be generous. I had an opportunity to bless somebody. I just decided to say yes to my king. And he has blessed me in return. He has. You can't outgive God. Your generosity or lack thereof will speak about your faith. And I want to show people that my God is generous. He's generous. And if you do, it'll impact the people around you. Verse 14. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. His gift. He has first given you a gift. The gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, and the gift of your money. And now he wants you to share. To share. You're not commanded. You're not forced. He just wants you to share. There's a word that Christians will throw around. It's called stewardship. And essentially what stewardship is, you can think of it as management. And really what God wants to know is, how are you managing his money? Not our money. How are you managing his money? And what I want to do in our last few minutes together is give you three quick financial disciplines that I think we can do to show God, I want to manage your money well. The first, very quickly, is the discipline of spending. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 8.12. We read this verse again. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has and not what one does not have. God does not care how much money you have or how much money you do not have. He is not concerned with you earning his love by being rich or being poor. No, no, no. His concern is what you do with what you have, but his concern is also what you do with what you don't have. And what I mean by that is a financial discipline that God wants to set you free from is the lack of self-control when it comes to going into unnecessary debt. Buying things with money that one does not have. This is a very, very important principle as a follower of Jesus that I have failed in my time, that I have failed in my life. Buying things that I don't have with money that I don't have. And I want to tell you, we're not going to get into a whole discussion about debt and credit cards. And I know people are like, well, what about you know, air, air, free air miles and credit score? We're not going to go down that road. What I'm talking about is because I lack discipline and self-control, I swipe. Because I lack discipline, I buy things I can't afford. Because the 3090 is so from a different planet and I didn't have the money for it, I credit card and I swiped. 
That's what I'm talking about. You want to get air miles, that's between you and God, you do your thing. I'm trying to now live a life where I don't go into debt for any reason ever again for the rest of my life. I'm not saying you have to do that, but what I am saying is if we swipe for things we can't afford and spending money one does not have, you will always be a prisoner. Always, and you will never be free. And I started this message by saying, God's desire for you and money is for you to have money and not for money to have you. Read this verse with me. Proverbs 22, seven. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. I've got more college debt than I know what to do with. And I'll be honest, every month, this is me. Like, dang, bro, how, how much longer do I get this chain off my foot? And I'm trying to pay it off. And sure, I also have a mortgage, and we could go into good, bad, you know, good debt versus bad debt. We're not going to go down that road. But what I'm talking about is there is a difference, everyone would agree, between going to college and buying a home for your family and buying a 3090 that you can't afford. They are not the same. They are not the same. One in some ways can be a blessing. One is straight up putting you in prison. And it is a spiritual discipline to discipline yourself. I will not buy things that I can't afford. I will not buy things that I can't afford. Debt is a whole big topic we're not going to get into, but I will not swipe because I lack self-control. I will not buy things because I can type a digit into a computer that I can't afford and I don't need to impress people who really don't even like me anyway. I will not be a prisoner to debt because I lack self-control. Buying a house, going to college, those are different. But just because you need a better graphics card is not a reason for you to imprison yourself because you lack self-control. I want to challenge some of you. Some of you. This kind of debt will always leave you a prisoner, and Jesus wants to set you free. The second financial discipline that God wants us to learn is the discipline of saving. I don't like this one. If I'll be real honest, they always talk about in marriage counseling, are you the spender or the saver? I'm a spender, man. I don't like saving. I like saving people, thank you, Jesus. But I do not like saving money. I understand that it's a good principle. I'm not arguing that, oh, we shouldn't have to save. No, saving is good. I just don't like to do it. Like, I like to spend. If I'll be honest, it's a bad habit. It's not good. And here's the reality. I want to read that verse again, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Again, God is not concerned with what you don't have unless there is a bad reason as to why you don't have it. If you don't have money to give, God, God doesn't love you less. But you got to ask yourself, if I don't have money to be generous, why don't I have money to be generous? Is it because I'm paying off outrageously high interest rates and I can't sleep at night because I lack discipline and I swipe my credit card? Or is it because everything that comes in goes right back out? Everything that comes in goes right back out. Read this verse with me. Proverbs 21.10. The wise store up choice food and olive oil. The wise store up their resources. But fools spend everything they have. Can I tell you in my life, 
lot of times, I'm a fool. Buy things I don't need. Buy things that I want. And if we'll be real honest with ourselves, it's just a lack of discipline. It's just a lack of what we talked about last week, the ability to deny myself of the thing that I want and refusing to allow myself to have it so that I can be disciplined. It is so common for people, even in the church, to live paycheck to paycheck. But for a lot of people, it's not because they're actually struggling. It's because they spend everything they have. Spend everything they have. And it's not normally like, oh, let's go out on this extravagant trip and use our entire bank account. It's normally like $10 here, DoorDash there, Valorant skin there. Come on, somebody pray for me, right? It's the little things here and there, 10, 15, 20. And before you know it, here's the question I've asked myself so many times that you've probably asked myself, where did my money go? Like, where, where did it go? I, like, I don't know. And if that's the question you're having, you don't have money, money has you. And the lack of your discipline is causing you not to be able to save. God doesn't want you to be a prisoner. He wants you to be free. People think that that means that God wants you to give all your money to the church. God does not want you to give all your money to the church. God does not want you to give all of your money to God Squad Church. He might tell one person. That was one time in the Bible with the rich young Euler. Again, exception, not the rule. The Bible talks about like a godly man leaves an inheritance for his children. And actually, if you really dig deeper in the world, actually the word children means grandchildren. A godly man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. You can't do that if you don't save. And you can't do that if all you do is spend, spend, spend. And I'll be honest, this is my weakness. DoorDash here. And we, we make excuses. Well, it's been a long week. I deserve. You can stay in prison as long as you want. Like, God's like, you, you want to live in prison of having no money, not sleeping at night because your car broke down, you don't have any money left? Like, you can do that if you want and still go to heaven, but I'd rather you be free. I would rather you live financially free so you can sleep at night, so that you can actually practice generosity, so that you can actually be a blessing to your children when you're older rather than a burden, because now you've got medical bills and all these stuff that you don't have money to pay for even though you worked for 55 years. I, I want to die with dignity. And I don't want to die a fool because I spent everything that I made. And it's a discipline to say, I have the money in my bank account. I can buy it. But if I do, then I'll be a fool because I've devoured everything that I have. He wants you to be free. I want to be free. I want to get out of debt faster. I want to be more generous, and I want to just say no to myself because it's good to do. The third and final thing that God wants to discipline ourselves when it comes to our finances, we've talked about spending, saving, but also sharing. We talked about this today, that really the healthy view of our money is not that it's ours, that it's God's, and God wants you to share it. He wants you to be generous Read these two verses with me. 2 Corinthians 8.12, for if the willingness is there, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. 2 Corinthians 9.7, each of you should give what 
you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Maybe you've heard that before, that God wants you to give cheerfully, and he does. But the other verse we just read says if the willingness is there. For most of us, when we start discipline, it doesn't feel good, and we're not happy about it. You might not start off cheerfully, but are you willing to start off because you're willing? I'm willing to serve God. I'm willing to be a blessing to his people. Sometimes the willingness comes first. The cheerfulness comes second. Parents, if you got little babies, you love your children, and you're cheerful to love and serve them, but you're probably not cheerful about the fact you're getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning because they're crying. You love them, and you're willing to do it, but you probably ain't cheerful about it. Maybe someone's asked you, hey, do you want to do me a favor? Are you asking me if I want to do you a favor or if I'm willing? You probably use those. Five is smiling. He's like, I've used those words, right? I've used my wife late at night. Hey, babe, do you want to grab me a drink? Mm, are you asking me if I want to get out of my bed at 1230 at night or am I willing to get out of my bed at 1230 at night? She's laughing. She knows it's true. And the reality is, no, I don't want to, but I'm willing because I love you. No, in this moment, I might not always be super cheerful about it but I'm willing to sacrifice because I, I love you. And today I challenge you, when you first give to God's kingdom, whether it's here at our church or whatever it might be, at first you might not have a huge smile in the face while you're typing in your debit card information. But you need to ask yourself, am I willing to share because I love God? As I wrap up this message, I want to really talk about one last thing because when understanding these verses that talk about, man, you give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have, and then again, put up 2 Corinthians 9, 7. The final verse we'll read in terms of this passage is, each of you should give what you have decided. What you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You're not, you're not forced to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. I'll be honest, for a long time, this passage was difficult for me. Because maybe for some of you, you grew up like I did, learning about the principle of what's called tithing. Tithing is a principle taught in the Old Testament, and the word tithe literally means 10%. That's like the definition of the word. So in a lot of, like, even other churches in the United States, they'll throw on, like, oh, give your tithe to God, but it doesn't matter how much it is. It doesn't matter what percentage. It's like, well, that doesn't actually make any sense. <laughs> because the word tithe actually just, it means 10%. And to be honest, my whole life, what my parents taught me, what I went to college, was learning that every follower of Jesus needs to tithe 10% of their income. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. 10% no matter what, and pretty extreme. Like if you read, like read this with me, Malachi 3, 6 to 10, I, the Lord, do not change. So you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, my standards, my commands, my laws, and you have not kept them. And then he says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And then they ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You were under curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, the whole 
into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room enough for it to store. And this is one of those areas in the Bible where people are like the Bible contradicts itself. Because in the Old Testament, you're like, okay, well, God clearly says, like, if you don't give 10%, you're robbing me. But in the New Testament, Paul's like, oh, just give whatever you can. Well, they can't both exist. They can't both exist. So which one is it? And to be honest, for me, I was taught my entire life, 10% or you're a thief. 10% or you're robbing God. But if I'll be honest, us and our staff as as just like all of us, as we've grown in our understanding of what the Bible says and what it actually means, we've understood that there's what's called the Old Testament law. And I did a whole message on this last year that I want to encourage you to go back and listen to where it talks about how Jesus came and changed the law. Not because he's wish-washy, not because he can't make up his mind, but because the law of the Old Testament was what we used to gain approval from God. Like, if I follow these rules, then I'm good. But if I break them, then I'm not. And then Jesus said, you're no longer saved or in a right position with me, and you no longer even please me by your ability to follow rules or not. You are in a right standing with God, but what I did for you, not what you do for me. And really, it poses the question of why would God even make the law in the first place? In the Old Testament, I believe that God gave us the law just to show us that we couldn't follow it even if we tried. He didn't give us the law so we could prove to him that we could follow it. He gave us the law so he would prove to us that we couldn't even if we tried. And Jesus comes on the scene and changes all the Old Testament law. And then we read about what Paul says in this verse right here, Galatians 4, 4 to 7, that when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that me that we might receive adoption to sonship. If you really read what Paul says about the law, he does not have good things to say about it. Because he's trying to show you the law that we were under is now a curse. There's nothing you can do to gain God's approval and nothing that you can do to lose it. God loves you, and if you live a lifestyle according to his commands, and you trust Jesus, you can have eternal life. Not because of how much money you give or not much money you give. And as I begin to understand this principle, and understanding that Jesus actually set us free from the law, but he set us free from all of the law. Not some of it. 613 laws in the Old Testament. And what I've learned that I've done my whole life is I said that all the laws are gone except this one except the one about money. That one will keep. Because that's what I was taught. That's what many of you were taught. That's what many people on our staff were taught. 10%, 10%. And if you don't give more than, less than 10%, you're not generous at all. 10% is just the bare minimum. But as I study God's word, if I'm being really, really honest, I've learned that Jesus came to set us free from the law of the Old Testament. And come to learn that really my whole life, I've been wrong about tithing. That my whole life, that I've tried to get rid of all the other laws, but kept this one law. 
But the New Testament that the Bible teaches is that you should give whatever you can. Not under a law. Not under a rule. Not under compulsion or reluctance. But I'll give whatever I can. Whatever I can. And I'll tell you, these things are terrifying for me to even admit. And not just because I'm afraid to be wrong. Because I want you to be painfully aware that I'm a human being. I want you to be painfully aware of the fact that Jesus is Lord and I'm just a man. But for a pastor to admit that I've been wrong about something in the Bible leads to question, well, what else are you wrong about? Oh, is our church going down a slippery slope where now everything else we used to believe is going to change too? And I want to make a commitment to you that God's standards of holiness, things about sin, those will never change. Things about how we attain salvation and how we get to heaven, those will never change. Things like God's view of marriage, which are talked about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, those things will never change. God is, like he said in Malachi, I do not change. God is who he says he is. But the reality is, what I've learned about our finances is that God doesn't want you to be stuck to a rule. He wants you to be free. So it doesn't matter what you give. 5%, 2%, I don't give because I'm under a law. The moment that Jesus died and rose again, the law was deleted. And we have been set free from it. And I really encourage you to go back and listen to my old message about the law, and you'll understand everything that I'm talking about. But we can't get rid of everything else and just keep one of them. They're either all gone, or we still need to follow all of them. And ladies shouldn't be cutting their hair. Men shouldn't be shaving their beard. No one can get tattoos and all of this stuff. We either follow all of it, or we follow none of it. There is no, well, let's just keep tithing. And I want to tell you today that Jesus came to set us free. So that we wouldn't give under compulsion or because we're forced. We give because we're free. But we also give. Because God first gave to us. The final verse I'll read to you. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. Why should I give? Why should I be generous? Because God was first generous to you. God gave his one and only son. He didn't have 15 sons, and if I lost one, no big deal, I have 14 left. No, he gave his only son to save you, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to pay the debt I owed for the sins that I've done. I hit his car, yet he paid the bill for me so I could go free. He gave to me. He gave to me. And now he's calling me to give to others. But if you're here today and you, you've never given your life to follow Jesus, I'll tell you there's something that God wants so much more than your money. It's actually more difficult. It's actually your life. He wants your whole life because he can manage it better than you can. 
He can run it better than you can. He has more love and care and compassion for you than you could ever imagine. I want to tell you today, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to achieve your true purpose. He is the only way to achieve true fulfillment. We can get happiness from buying a 3090, but you only get joy from receiving Jesus. And I want to tell you today, you don't have to keep living the way that you're living. Some of you might feel like you're a prisoner to your own poor decisions like I was in my past. But then Jesus Christ, he set me free. And today he wants to set you free. And I pray today two things will happen. I pray that all of us would become generous. According to what you do have, not what you don't have. I pray for some of you today will be the first time you've ever given here at God Squad Church practice generosity to someone in Africa, whatever it might be. I want you to be generous. But I also want some of you today, if it's your decision, to make a decision to say yes to Jesus, to put your trust in him, to make a decision that I am now leaving ownership of my own life behind, and I'm going to follow Jesus because he first gave to me, and now I will give to him. And if today you want to make a decision to become a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask you today, God, to forgive me of all my sins, to be my Lord and my Savior. And help me, God, to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, will you put some hype in the chat as we congratulate and celebrate with those that have given their lives to follow Jesus? Come on, somebody. Praise God. Hey, congratulations to those of you that just said yes. Whether it was your first time accepting Jesus Christ or maybe this is something that you rededicated your life because you felt like you were falling away for a little while, congratulations to you. And hey, I want you to do something brave and bold today. If you could do me a favor, if you just made that decision today, I want you to type a yes in the chat. Type a yes in the chat so we can celebrate with you and also so that we can connect with you as well. And hey, somebody's going to put a link in the chat right now. It's called, they're going to put exclamation point next level and just click on that link if you just made that decision it will send you to a form that we ask you to fill out with as much information as you feel comfortable giving as we want to give you some resources a lot of people they know this is a big decision in their life but they're not exactly too sure where to go from here they don't know where to start reading in their bible they don't maybe know how to pray a lot of times we talk about water baptism and maybe you're thinking, I have questions about that too. We would love to be able to connect with you and talk about uh, those things with you. And so please, please, please definitely click on that link when it gets in there if you just made that decision today. Also guys, we just talked a lot about giving and this is the reason why we do things here at God Squad Church. We want to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see more and more people on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, receiving Jesus Christ into their life. And so many of you have been super faithful and you've been generous in your giving as well to give, to give that God Squad Church here so we can continue doing everything that we do here. And I want you to know there's multiple safe and secure ways that you can give to God Squad Church. You can go into the panels below and click on the Give link. You can also go to our website and you can customize it to any way you see fit that's comfortable for you, whether it be weekly or monthly, whatever it might be. And then finally, you can also use text to give by texting any amount to the number 8432. But no matter how you're giving, we thank you so much for your generosity here at God Squad Church, and every penny counts.